Hello, hello, and welcome to another fun and exciting week on Decaf. Um, it is a rainy, stormy day here in Nashville. I hope that the weather is better from wherever you are listening. Mark, did the storms keep you up all night last night? Because I, in my little old 1937 home, thought that I was going to blow away like Dorothy in the tornado. <laughs> no, I had a lot of melatonin before bed, so I kind of heard it, um, and it, uh, you know, I, I heard it, but I was so assumed, like, oh, I, I think it's just, it just sounds like the wind. So it didn't bother me that much because I was so tired and I took so much melatonin. But I did, I did know it was loud. And then when I took her out this morning, you could see kind of, I guess there was wind last night because I saw some trees that kind of been moved, it looks like. And, you know, it was very wet outside. I never sleep through the night because I'm an open mouth sleeper. And so I'm always get thirsty in the middle of the night. And my body wakes me up. And so at about, it's probably like 3.45 I was awake taking a sip of water and there was a lightning so bright that I audibly said to no one else in my home because there's no one here, whoa. And then I went back to sleep. It was uh, it was not a fun night. My mom is getting on an airplane later today. So we'll see how that goes. I, would, I don't want to be her right now. Um, so let's talk about this for a second, Mark, because this is one of my favorite policy issues that we are working on this year. Everyone who has been listening knows that last year we did a big listening tour all over Tennessee, focus groups, statewide poll, and the number one issue that came back as bugging the crap out of Tennesseans and they need something to be done about it is the cost of housing. And I just saw a new article the other day that said that Tennesseans are getting frustrated. Nashville's rent is skyrocketing. Every Tennessee has the fourth most expensive housing prices in the entire country, which is shocking to me wow. because I would think it would be like Florida, California, New York, and Illinois because of Chicago. Like I would not think Tennessee would be the fourth highest, but it is. It's the fourth highest. Ron sent me an article just the other day and it's frustrating to people. Yeah, I would notice it's the fourth highest because of the cost of the house. Like, it probably costs more in New York and California because the taxes are Illinois, but that's not included in the cost of the house. So the actual cost of the house, Tennessee might not be fourth, but for the like, you know, the initial cost of just what you pay out of pocket, I mean, I, I believe that, especially in Nashville. It's so much higher. And so as part of our blueprint for a freer Tennessee for this year, we've included several um, areas of improvement that we'll work on over the next couple of years for Tennessee to get a hold of housing prices. And one of those is the home improvement contractor's license. Now, I didn't know that this was a thing until Ron brought it up to me. But in several counties in Tennessee, there are two different licenses for contractors. There's the general contractor, and they can work on projects $25,000 and above, which makes sense. General contractors typically work on larger buildings, building large homes, whatever, the cost of the project is going to be over 25000 But then there's the home improvement contractor's license. This license is for smaller projects. Someone who wants to come in and add a mother-in-law suite. Someone who wants to come in and build out a laundry room attached to their house so that their laundry rooms aren't in their kitchen. Smaller projects like that, but projects that can make a huge difference as far as square footage, usable space, and space for people to live, building out a basement, for example, to add room for another child. There are there are projects that a home improvement contractor can do that you don't need a general contractor for. Unfortunately, the cost that a home improvement contractor can work on, the, the cost of that is under $25,000. That was set, I believe, in the 70s. Is that correct, Mark? It was set in the 70s, and it hasn't been moved. Now, if you look at housing costs in the 70s, I remember asking my mom, how much she and my dad paid for their first house. They were married in 1983. 
if if that was the cost of a house right now, I could have a whole enterprise of houses, I feel like. But that's just not the case right now. Everything has become more expensive with inflation. And now that cap on what home improvement contractors can work on is putting a lot of home improvement contractors out of work. And then they need to get a general contractor license in order to do these projects. It's actually ridiculous. And so one of the things that needs to be reformed, and we will rail on licensing all day until we are blue in the face, but this is a license that so desperately needs to be reformed. What are your thoughts on it, Mark? I think this is a brilliant area for us to work on because it can open up so much more space for people to build houses and repair houses that are actually attainable for people who can't afford those massive homes. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, it's a win-win-win. And this is a statewide uh, law, too, so it's not even some counties. It, it is the entire state that has to deal sure. with this. Um, and the thing that, you know, I think that when you talk about who it affects, so you have these you know, home improvement contractors. And the whole point, it could be a roofer. It could be somebody who, you know, just fixes kitchens. So this is what they do. This is what they want to do. They don't, they, they don't want to build houses because that's really what a general contractor is for, people who build houses. So they had this expertise in this area. They say, okay, this is what I do. Um, general contractors don't want to do these projects. They want to do building houses. I mean, there's a tons of work for them now. They don't want to be fixing roofs and they don't want to just because they can legally do it. They would rather be working these bigger, higher projects. So you had this agreement here, but now because of the cost of inflation, you could have you know a kitchen to fix it might be $31,000 and the home improvement contractor cannot do that legally. The general contractor doesn't want to do that. So because they're going to do it, they're going to have to raise the price because this is something that, you know, that their people are going to be making more money. So that means they're, they're increasing the cost of doing that because they're going to say, you know what, that's not, it's not really something we do. We, sh- we should be building houses in order for us to you know make it worthwhile instead of being 33000 Maybe it's forty thousand, and the person who's you know spending money on the house has to spend a lot more. So it doesn't really make sense, and I don't think anybody is really against this. I think general contractors want to work on on building new houses. I think home improvement contractors want to work on what they are experts in, and just because it's a little bit because of the cost of goods, inflation. So I think the number that is being proposed right now, I think, is about forty three thousand dollars, which would be about what it would cost if you included the inflation from from when it started. So at 43,000 you could do a lot more. So it's this arbitrary number that made sense a long time ago, but it's basically making the cost of everything more expensive. Any any addition to your house, um, fixing your kitchen, getting a roof done, it's making that more expensive and it's yet yeah, like you said it's putting people potentially out of work who are saying I can't do anything about this without getting a general contractor's license. I don't want a general contractor's license. It costs more time, it costs more money. I don't want that. I just want to fix roofs and put on kitchens. But because of this law, it makes it, you know, it makes it really hard to do that now. You have to only work on projects under a certain amount or you have to lose money yourself. So yeah, this is a $30,000 project, but I got to do it for 24,000 as a way to, you know, make sure it's staying under this threshold. Well, and also I think about it a lot of, of if, if this could in any way be a partisan issue, and I don't foresee that. One of the things, like if you think about it, home improvement contractors can come in and swap out old windows for energy efficient windows, thus bringing the cost of energy down and the level of energy a house is using, which is exactly what the left would want. Like this is something that can appeal to all sides and it just appeals to our human interest of Let's give people jobs so that we're not paying as as much for a general contractor job. So this is one of the projects that we're working on in our a blueprint for a freer Tennessee to help lower the cost of housing. Because if you bring down the cost of housing for the laborers, then the cost is going to be lower that you pay out of your pocket for the ones who are living here. And I just I, I think it's brilliant. And I'm so thankful that Ron 
brought it up to us. Yeah, I think that when we talk about home prices, I think there's, of course, a lot of things that are out of our control, right? There's a lot of market forces at play. There's, I mean, if it's a, an area that people want to live in, it's going to be more, you know, costly to do that. But we can talk about what the government does. And these are rules, arbitrary rules, oftentimes not useful, that the government does that increases the cost of housing. So I do think, like, it's not that we can say, oh, we can't fix the market to make, you know, fix the market to make housing cheaper, but we can take the government out of places where they're not supposed to be. And we're going to talk later about, you know, at some point, maybe not this year, but in, about zoning and how that really, you know, does yeah. increase the cost of housing, maybe more than anything else. But what we're doing is we're trying to fix basically the government where the government is overreached and has, you know, inadvertently, not on purpose, but they cause the, the cost of what it you know, what it costs to own a house to go up. And that's something that that's what we're working on. So we're kind of doing these things around the edges. Yes, it's not going to you know, make a house from $400,000 to $150,000, but these matter, you know, saving thousand dollars of time from regulations that don't make any sense. It, it's, it's the way to lower housing without, you know, affecting the actual housing market. It's the government getting involved and in making things more expensive. Yeah, I totally agree. So stay tuned and watch us for more uh, reforms that we want to put in place to make everything less expensive for Tennesseans because the fact that we're the fourth highest in co housing costs, ridiculous. Um, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about identity politics. My least favorite thing in the entire world, identity politics. Um, Mark, tell everyone the story that you told me earlier and then let's get some reactions. Yeah, so um, I'm sure everyone has seen the, um, there's been a couple of train crashes, you know, across the country, including Ohio, which is a big one. And uh, there's a, a former state senator, Nina Turner, very, very famous. Uh, she was one of Bernie Sanders' biggest surrogates. And she basically went after um, Mayor, I guess not Mayor Pete anymore, but uh, Pete, Pete Buttigieg and said, he you know what? He will always be Mayor Pete to me. Yes, yeah. Even if he, even if he's president, he'll still be Mayor Pete. Um, but she went after him. Said, yeah, but but she went after him. She said like, "This is you know unacceptable. This is somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing." Such that, and she got just attacked. Now, this is a very liberal person for going after saying, "Well, you're homophobic because you're going after you know a gay man who who apparently didn't do his job." But it's gotten to the point where anytime you know, and, and this is a real problem in society. I think that anytime you criticize somebody. Um, for a, a job done. And listen, I, I am not a Nina Turner fan. Um, in fact, I'm one of her biggest detractors, but she called it like she saw it. You know, whether or not she's right is not really relevant. But this whole idea that you attack somebody's policy, you know, you attack somebody for what you consider being wrong, and you're automatically like a, a racist, a homophobe, a transphobe, you know, you hate a, an ageist, a sexist, whatever it is. And, and, it's, and it's getting old because you can't attack people on even their policies. You could, you could not mention anything about them and say, I don't really like what this person did. And there's still this, you know, swath of people who are going to call you a name because you're attacking somebody's policy. You know, you can't attack Joe Biden because, because he's too old, right? You can't attack, and, and it's the same thing. You can't attack, um, somebody on, on the right because they're, you're, you're attacking all Christians when you're taking on somebody who just happened to be a Christian. So. Mm -hmm. I'm really just done and fed up with this idea that you can't have, we can't have real discussions in our country. That's what the problem is because you can't have a real discussion without being called to them because the moment you attack somebody who in, is in some way, you know, e either a group of people that's a minority or a group of people that, you know, just what if it's a Christian, somebody you don't like, and, and you can really bring this up and say, oh, you know, um, you're attacking all of these people instead of just actually talking about what the issue at hand is, right? If you attack somebody and you say, you know, I don't like Mayor Pete, um, because of this, this, and this, and personal things like, yeah, then, yeah, you're probably being homophobic if you're talking about his personal life. But that's not what this is about. This is about actually talking about the policies and what he's done, you know, as as director of uh, tr transportation secretary. So 
it's it's really gotten to the point where it's so absurd that even the leftists are kind of turning on each other where you can't even, you know, you can't even criticize somebody else on the left, no matter what it's about, because you're going to be hitting one of those, you know, whatever minority checkboxes or checkboxes of people who are going to claim it that, you know, you can't attack my ideas because I'm this. It's like, that is insane. And it's such a bad precedent for our country. Wasn't it Justice Scalia that said, if you're attacking someone's Per, like if you're attacking someone personally instead of their ideas, you're clearly not very smart. He said something like that, and I feel like if you have to attack someone personally in politics or at work or whatever, and and you're not attacking their ideas, it just shows that you're not very intelligent. Like, where's that going to get you attacking someone personally? We're we're not it 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 doesn't mean. And I you know I don't like Nina Turner either, but I don't think by her calling a spade a spade and saying we're having some massive transportation issues, um, train crashes. Uh, aren't there two train crashes in the last little while? Four. Like Four train four. crashes. Yeah, four. Holy. Okay. Yeah. We're having massive transportation issues. Dangerous chemicals are being spilled. There's a problem. There's a problem that the federal government needs to take responsibility for, and Mayor Pete is, unfortunately for him, buck stops with him on that. And that's all she was saying. And if people are coming out who are Mayor Pete fans saying, well, you can't criticize him because he's gay. It's like, well, I'm criticizing his ideas and his thoughts, not anything about his personal life because his personal life didn't, isn't the reason why he's the secretary of transportation. It shouldn't matter one way or the other about things about you personally, as opposed to the quality of your work. That's all I, I'm saying. It shouldn't I, matter. I would also add to, because I think that it's important to think of it from this perspective is that, you know, talk about ideas. Because I think that, you know, you also, outside of all of this, like the identity politics thing, which, you know, I, I hate to begin with, but, you know, you somebody says something, say a, a Republican legislator says something, oh, I really think that we should do this for school choice. And somebody said, oh, well, you supported Trump, who's this, this, and this, so I'm not going to listen to you. It's like, instead of talking about ideas, they're talking about, and, and it's like, sometimes it's like three three degrees of separation from what actually happened. It's like, oh, you like this person, he's friends with them, and, and he's a sexist, so how can I listen to you about school choice, right? It's like, there's so much, and it, it really is on both sides. It, it truly is on both sides, and you know, whether or not there's one that's, that's worse, you could probably have an argument, but it's just talk about the issues without, you know, coming to these personal attacks, personal insults, you know, having to feel like, oh, you know, he made a good point about this, so I'm going to call him racist, sexist, whatever. Or it's like, oh, I'm going to bring this other thing that's completely irrelevant to the conversation because I don't have an answer for this actual policy, right? And that's what happens. And that's what I'm and done I, with. And I talk about this all the time. People say all the time, you're comparing apples and oranges. When you do stuff like that, you're comparing apples and bicycles. Like, it's not even the same thing. We're not even uh, talking about in the same realm. We're not on the same page. We're not in the same book. We're not in the same library. We're talking about completely different things. So I agree with you. I think the identity politics needs to go away. And that's something that, you know, I think growing up with my political preferences in the South and being surrounded by people who thought like me, I used to get really caught up in that in my early 20s and and was that person of, well, I'm not going to listen to you because you're friends with somebody who believes something that I don't believe and and that, therefore you have no credibility. I have grown out of that. Thank God. I've grown out of that, but I can see how easy it is to get caught up in it. I can, you can blame the internet. You can blame the media. You can blame everybody's tensions being stoked all the time. Oh, he's mad about that. So maybe I should be mad about that too. Cause we agree on things. Cut it out. We, we got to As a society, we got to cut the crap. We can't keep, keep lessening people's opinions and the validity of what they're having to say based on some arbitrary personal preference or 
personal alignment. I actually just saw an interview, which is really cool, or a debate, I guess. It was Anna Kasparian from um, the Young Turks and Ben Shapiro. And they just kind of had a whole discussion where they – it was actually super refreshing to see. They didn't insult each other personally. and I mean, you know, one is basically a socialist. Obviously, Ben, ben Shapiro is, is very conservative. And they just had a good discussion and kind of talked through that. And, and they basically both talked about why it was important to have discussions about that, to, you know, to talk about issues and to talk about where there's disagreements. And not only that, like where there's common ground. So it was really great to see that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they actually said. But it's like the the lack of name calling or saying, "Oh, you're a Trump bootlicker, so you have no opinion on this thing," or "Oh, you're friends with Bernie Sanders, a socialist, so I'm not going to listen to you." So it was just a really nice discussion, and we need more of that. It doesn't really matter. I think most people say they want more of that, but I don't know if they actually do. It's one of those things where you know people are like, "Oh, yeah, we want civilian politics," but oh, I love when this person goes after them, and because he's on my side. So I just would like to talk more about issues, and I think. If I'm being honest, that is kind of that's really devolved. And even though it is a both sides thing, it seems like the left has really gone very far on that over the past four or five years, where it's all about you know, oh, you can't attack them because they're this and this. It's not about the ideas. And then any connection to Trump, they will just bring up Trump every time they can. And it's like that has nothing to do with this conversation about this unrelated issue. So I do think it's both sides, but I will say that I don't want to use the you know both sides on that. I do think the left has been increasingly. Um, hostile to, to debates over ideas recently. I totally agree with that. And I'll leave it at this. If Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Justice Scalia, Antonin Scalia, could be friends and celebrate Christmas and Thanksgiving together, and they were so wildly different on their political beliefs, we can all do the same. If they could get over it, we can get over it. Um, let's talk really quick about the Super Bowl. I had the time of my life at the Super Bowl. <laughs> now, I did think that it started at 6.30 when it actually started at 5.30. That was my bad. Uh, so I did miss the first few minutes, but I thought that the game was well played, horribly reffed, and wildly entertaining. Mark, what were your big takeaways from the Super Bowl? I basically agree with you. I, I actually thought that I, I will say I think the refing got a bad. I thought the referee was fine. I would not have called that last defensive penalty, but that was one one. I thought overall that it was actually pretty well ref game. I think this was compared to watching the Bengals Chiefs. There was one call that I would not have called. It also wasn't a horrible call. I just would have let it go um, because sure. it was close okay. enough. It wasn't like it was an okay. insane like, but. I thought the referee was pretty good. I thought it was a good game. I think you could see that. And I mean, this is uh, the, the one thing I noticed was other than the Patrick Mahomes being amazing was that um, the Kansas City just has a better coaching staff. They were able to adjust. Yeah. Jonathan Gannon, the, the new the, the Eagles defense coordinator, just got a head coaching job, looked lost in the second half. And the Chiefs did everything they want. And there was so much talent in the Eagles defense that really that was the biggest takeaway is that the Chiefs made the adjustments needed. The Eagles didn't, but they scored enough points. The Eagles' defense didn't, and that was really the issue. Jalen yeah. Hurts played a great game. They, it's when you game. score whatever, 35 points, you should be winning those games. <laughs> right. I totally agree. The Eagles, I will always – you know, Nick Saban did a little video wishing Jalen and Devontae and Landon Dickerson a, a happy game, and I thought it was really sweet and it was fun to watch them. Um, my personal Super Bowl was the halftime show. Uh, I pre-gamed for the halftime show through the first half. And then I emotionally processed what happened in the halftime show during the second half. Rihanna, I knew the moment I saw her, she was pregnant. And everybody was saying, is she pregnant? Is she pregnant? Yes, she was. I watched, I have watched it on YouTube so many times since the actual airing of it. I have watched it over and over. I know you don't understand, but it was one of the most, in, like, as far as production value, incredible halftime shows I have ever seen. I think it's incredible that the artist themselves pays for everything. You know, the, 
the Super Bowl, the NFL doesn't pay for the halftime show. The artist has to pay for it, and they don't get paid for it. And, man, Rihanna's team spared no expense. The floating platforms, all the choreographed dancers, I thought it was so incredible. And uh, we all know that I was excited about the commercials, most of all. My favorite commercial, and this is a hot take, but my favorite commercial based on just the social aspect around it was the 2B commercial where it looked like someone had sat on their remote. That, every single person in the room, I was watching with like 25 people, everyone turned on each other and then the dog so quickly. <laughs> and we were all yelling, where's Luna? Where's the dog? The dog's on the remote. It was it was a brilliant marketing. Everyone's talking about it. It was brilliant marketing. Some of the commercials were really stupid. Um, I may Most. be the only person. I may be the only person in America who liked the Scrubs, John Travolta, Summer Lovin' cable commercial. I was living for that because I am a musical kid. Um, but Tubi had my favorite commercial. Mark, what was your favorite? Well, I want to say one thing. I feel like the John Travolta thing. It's like they basically just did this nostalgia thing, which people like, right? But it wasn't well executed. It just you only like is the song. It it wasn't a good, clever commercial. They just got somebody yeah. from a movie. So it's like, and I, I agree with you. The Tubi commercial was the just from a, it, it, people are talking about. It, and that's what they want. A lot of people had never heard of Tubi before. Um, yeah. The one weird thing you said is I don't think anybody thought that halftime show was anything more than mediocre. I, I just heard a lot of like, eh, it was fine. Like it was not, I feel like two years ago, you know, heard a lot about Bruno Mars or whenever that was. And, and Bruno the week, was yeah, incredible. The weekend you even heard some stuff about. And even last year, it's like, oh yeah, it was pretty good. Like I've not heard anybody say that about this halftime show. I've heard either it was disappointing or it was okay. You're the only person who lived for it, I think. Cause it was just, I mean, and, and I don't, I mean, she's fine. It was let like below average. Oh my gosh, I thought it was incredible. All the dance was so perfectly in sync, the colors, the fact that she was in red and she stood out among all the dancers in white. I thought it was perfection, art. I guess we're just not listening to the oh. same people because- I mean, I, I, I haven't heard that it was horrible. I just, everyone's like, oh, it was fine. Like, I, I've, and I've looked at, like, I remember, I remember the absolute, every post on Facebook after Bruno Mars about how good it was. A lot now of people posted. One, a lot of people posted last year about how excited they were beforehand, and they're like, "Oh, it was really good. It was cool to see that. It was really nostalgic." I just have only heard like, "Oh, five out of ten. You know, it was a fine halftime show. It was okay. Uh, it was cool that she's back, but she also played. I know a lot of songs that people people did not care for a song selection either from what she's done. Oh, so I thought the songs. I, maybe it's just because I do like Rihanna a lot, but I thought the songs were perfect. I was upset that she Ponda Replay should have been played. That's in, that's in, that's insane. Ponda she didn't Replay, do that. her first yeah. hit, so good. Do you know that she sold more records than Beyonce? She's the highest selling artist of our generation. I don't. I don't. I, I did not know, know that, but like Beyonce, I don't. Okay, Beyonce's not good. Uh, Rihanna's way better than Beyonce is. She's not. Rihanna is way more talented than Beyonce. Her songs are catchier. I don't get the Beyonce. Like, I feel like Beyonce is just good, and like Destiny's, she hasn't. I think her solo has been terrible. Uh, as Destiny's Child, they were good, but like, I don't, I don't understand how everything is compared to Beyonce. Like, she is fine. What is all this love for her? Like, when, when did this start happening? It's like the person. It's like Bob Dylan or like the Rolling Stones, like ever or, or Beatles. Everyone talks about them being this great thing. It's like, well, I feel like sometimes in society, somebody just made that be the case. It's not actually true. There's nothing to back it up. But at some point in society, everyone just kind of acknowledge, oh, we're going to say this from now on, and not actually review them from their songs because she is so average. She's fine. 
I don't even know what to say to all of Kelly them. Rowland, Kelly Rowland is better than Beyonce. Um, and I'll say that. She has better songs and a better voice. I don't know what to do with all of this information <laughs> that you're putting in my brain right now because I so vehemently disagree and we can have an entire episode about it. But <laughs> I, I will leave it at this. Beyonce, I love you. Rihanna, I love you, and I thought you did a perfect halftime show. But Bruno Mars is still the best halftime show I've ever seen in my entire lifetime, and I still go back and watch on YouTube all the time. I I'm not even a Rihanna fan. I think she's twice as good as Beyonce, at least. That's fair. Beyonce's still great, but that just means Rihanna. No, no, wrong. <laughs> Rihanna's like Rihanna's like an eight out of ten, like music wise, and Beyonce's like a four. So, like, I think I like some of Rihanna's songs. I feel like they're catchy. I just I don't know. Maybe Beyonce's a great. I, okay, maybe she's a good songwriter. Like, I won't take that away from her. I know that Lemonade song made it because when Jay-Z cheated on her and everything like that. Like, that so I'm not talking about, hair. I'm not talking about songwriting skills. I'm talking about strictly songs and voice. And I think Destiny's well, Child, Destiny's Child was great. She has not had catchy songs, in my opinion, afterwards. Watch her Coachella performance on no, Amazon. No, that's the most <laughs> hipster thing you could say to somebody. Oh, you gotta, like, I'm, I'm not gonna do your Coachella Amazon performance of Beyonce. No, I will not. Okay, well, I live and breathe for Beyonce's Coachella performance on Amazon. So there's that. You know what else I live and breathe for, though, is true crime. And to wrap up the show, Mark and I, Mark, I feel like for a while you didn't understand my true crime obsession, but you started to get more into it. And I think it's because you're married now. And women, us women are psychopaths (laughs) and we love true crime. We got to see what's out there. Got to see what's going on. The, The Murdoch murders out of South Carolina have captivated me, and I know Justin's wife, Kara, we've talked about it so much for so many years, and this man, Alec Murdoch, is finally on trial, and, like, the evidence is so undeniable that he killed his wife and his son that (laughs) he's got to know, he's got to know his fate. I mean, they, they released a Snapchat video that his son tried to send, like, an hour or so before he was found dead, and his dad was there. Like, this is, it's just so, I mean, the guy's got to know his goose is cooked. Like, he's got to know. He's right? just got to know what, yeah, and I mean, if you if you haven't followed this case, it's a like really rich South Carolina, like, family, like, even empire in this, in the low country. And it's like, yes. they were basically in charge of this town for a hundred years. And I think that, you know, there's this sense of privilege in that. He's always gotten away, and I'm not talking about white privilege. I'm talking about actual privilege of just being super rich and owning the town. But like yeah. he's got he's gotten away with basically anything he wanted in this town and lying for so long that he thinks he just makes stuff up. And that's what it seems like. Because he originally said, Oh, I wasn't at the house beforehand. And then like there's evidence of that. Like he's just blatantly lied. But I get it, because like he's gotten away with it for so long. I think he just assumed things were gonna be okay. I mean, he essentially helped try to get his son out of a murder charge um on, on the boat. Like he's he's just done this for so long and I think the scariest thing about hearing the story because I do, you know, I, I'm, I'm not on the jury. I don't see everything going on, but I'm guessing that he's going to be found guilty. Uh, who knows? OJ was found yeah. innocent, so who knows? Um, but I think the scariest thing is what else has been done in those years? We know he took advantage of a bunch of people he represented. He took money from people who deserved he it. He stole and- so much money. Stole yeah. so much money and he spent, he was broke anyway. Like this man, what is he doing with his money? He faked, he hired a fake hitman to try to like come and shoot him and the bullet grazed his head to try to, I guess, get off from other things. I I don't even know, man. But his son was drunkenly boating and killed a girl. Then he killed his son and his wife. 
in the meantime, he's stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars from people he represented as an attorney. I want to know what else he's done and that he's gotten away from. I think that this is like a conspiracy that goes really deep. And there's other stories that are just weird. Like I know the housekeeper dying in his house and every murder, there, there's the one guy who was felt like it just makes you feel like, of course, none of that's proven, but it's clear, at least to me, I don't, I'm, again, I'm not saying for sure that he's okay killing someone and, and including his son and wife who are the two closest people to him. So like, what makes you think that he hasn't done this many times before? This could be one we're looking back at in like 50 years and be like, well, the Murdoch family was, was you know, 10 murders they, they were actually responsible for. So it's a really compelling case. And I just, I, I always like closure. And I don't think we're ever going to get closure on all the other things that might be out there. And even if it's just things that he's covered up, just, I mean, he's a bad guy. No matter what, even if he's innocent of this murder, he's a terrible person. And he's almost yeah. clearly not innocent of this murder. <laughs> the beloved housekeeper who basically raised his two sons fell down the stairs and died at his house. Like, since when? I'm sorry. Since when does someone just fall down the stairs and I die? mean, it does that happen. Is- it, it happens. If it didn't happen, they would have charged him. Like, it, it's it's unlikely, but it can happen. Um, but then, sure. of course, he took advantage of the family as well, which, like, to get that money. So it seems like it could be a plot. Now, I, if I was a betting man, I would bet that he did it. But I don't know. I have no evidence of that. But it's just interesting to see what else has come out. But it's, it's, a, it's kind of a story that's gripped the nation, not even because, because it's like, it's what I think everyone who's, and I mean, this is not really me, but anybody who's really lived in a small town, they know that family. That they say, oh, that's we all the, know that family. <laughs> who everyone like doesn't really like. They, they can get away with everything. They have to because they basically own the town in whatever way, whether they own all the restaurants uh-huh. or you know, it, it's been the mayor or whatever forever. And, and uh, So I think that this really connects with anybody who's grown up in a small town. Not even a small town, kind of medium-sized town. Where you, like, you, I know who that family is. Yeah. And so it just- it, I'm picturing them in my head right now, like from Aniston. I know that family. It's And it's true. You get away with anything because you basically own the town. You're friends with everyone. You're part of all the important groups. You go to the important church. You do all the important things. You can get away with anything. And so I have to give a shout out to Mandy Matney. She's a reporter from Fitz News in South Carolina. And she jumped on this case before anyone else did. And she started the Murdoch Murders podcast back in, I think, like 2020. And I remember for a while there, I would wake up every morning and look at my podcast app to see if there was a new one and listen to it while I was exercising or getting ready for the day. I She has been on top of this and her news organization has been able to hire so many more people because of all of the content that she created. She got on this before anyone else did and it truly gripped the nation. And you know, if you're wondering what Mark, me and Mark are doing every evening when we get done with work, <laughs> it's catching up on the Murdoch murder because it's actually the most insane story I've ever heard. And I just want to know, I just want him, once his goose is cooked and he is in jail and he's got nothing left to lose, just tell us what you did. I'll buy the book. I will buy that book so fast and, and fund future generations of Murdoch's, whatever. I will buy the book. Just like his son Buster is the only one who's not going to go to jail. So he's going to carry on the Murdoch. Also, Legacy, maybe not, not go to jail. There was that weird murder involving him, seemingly. I mean, I, I, so who knows? <laughs> I just assume that he's a Murdoch and he's going to get away with it. But yeah, he did have the weird murder that involved him. They're all out there him. killing people. And no, so- no, no. So that's too much. We don't know. It probably was. And I have actually read a little bit of that. That one probably wasn't him. I did. But it's um, it's an we interesting. Don't know. <laughs> I know. And that's what's cool about it. We don't know. And this is one of these weird stories because it's. 
an, an incredible story that Netflix kind of made big by doing their documentary, but also the trials happened in real time. That almost never happened. They do these, you know, true crime documentaries, and then 20 years later, they say, oh, maybe the wrong person was arrested. This is happening in real time, which is so cool. I know. We talk a lot about, uh, we had team coaching the other day, and um, he asked us, what if the pandemic had happened in the 90s? Would your life have changed that much? And I think probably not because there wasn't the social media buzz. There wasn't all this stuff. I and, and so it makes you say I'm kind of thankful that I didn't have social media as a child. I kind of hate social media now, whatever. Stuff like this makes me so thankful for our digital age of live podcasting, tweeting, watching the trial. Man, I am fully hook, line, and sinker. I am into this case. So we'll probably talk about it another time when the verdict is read. Um, but for now, if you haven't listened to the Murdoch Murders podcast, go catch up, block off a whole week of your time, and catch up on it because you're going to want to hear all this stuff. Mark, you got any final thoughts before we sign off? No, we all agree that the pandemic would have been better if it happened in the 90s. I think there'd be a lot more, um, <laughs> a lot less, you know, people yelling at each other over politics and probably less stringent restrictions, I'm guessing, without the internet. But um, yeah, unfortunately, that was not the case. <laughs> yeah, we would have experienced a lot more freedom if the pandemic yes, had happened in the 90s. I think so. Well, just to circle back to the start, if you want to see some more of our solutions regarding housing, check out beacontn.org slash blueprint. Don't forget to subscribe to Decaf on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Decaf with Mark and Taylor, a production of the Beacon Center of Tennessee. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.